Hi everyone and welcome back to On Track, Off Course, the Racing Welfare podcast. This week we are talking about working families in the racing industry. It's a really hot topic and there's been a lot of research done into what can be done to improve things, particularly for mothers, but for families in general in the industry. And it's something that is very close to our hearts, Dina. (laughs) Yeah, often when we're on the phone to each other or FaceTiming or on Teams, there's a child screaming in the background (laughs) and we cannot communicate. So yeah, it is a topic that we're invested in. And there's been a lot of research done around it for women in race in the racing home report so we're gonna hear from two guests today who are gonna tell us a bit more aren't they yeah so we're gonna hear from andrea o'keefe she is a mother and a wife and um sort of so as well as having gone through the process of having a family herself i think in their yard they've done quite a lot of really good work in helping families so it'll be interesting to hear from her and we're also going to hear from Dr Kate Clayton Hathaway who was key in the Racing Homes report done for Women in Racing last year. She is great to hear from because she's done that report within the industry but is also kind of bringing an outside view onto it which is really interesting yeah it's very interesting actually to get her view on it and which findings sort of struck her the most Mm. really and those kind of practical recommendations that can be put into place the shorter term ones straight away and those longer term goals as well so Mm. i hope people will enjoy listening to her so tina as a working mother what have you done (laughs) to maintain your sanity in the last (laughs) Couple um, weeks. I tell you what happened actually recently is I drove past the race courses in Newmarket and saw the next meeting signs, which ah. means the flat is is on its way back and it's always really good to have something fun planned, mm. isn't it? And I thought, oh, we can go back to the July course and the July course hopefully um will be back by then. But it has a great family enclosure. It's amazing, yeah. Yeah, a huge playground and you can sit out and have a picnic and the horses gallop straight past the rails and the kids all run to the rails and um, you can get food and drink and put a bet on and I just thought it's just always really nice to have something planned and to think ahead and have it in your calendar so that you've got something to look forward to with your family Mm. that doesn't involve work. Good advice. How about you? Well, you've been super positive, <laughs> so I'll just <laughs> bring me down and bring you back to reality. Uh, I don't know. It's just this time, this particular week of the year when we're recording is a really tough time mm. for us as a family. So it's just been about trying to make the space for that in our lives. And I think for you this week, it's it really helps doesn't it when you can just let yourself sort of feel those emotions and makes time and space to get through that tough week yeah it's just making sure you actually do make that time and space you know life I know I always bang on about this but life is so busy work so busy um life with the kids and it's very easy to just let yourself get dragged into that and not think not think not think Mm. but actually I think for me this week I've got to make that time just to let those emotions through and you know it's it is important yeah and that sort of self-compassion and being kind to yourself yeah that's it that is my aim for this week some more self-compassion and talking of self-compassion race and welfare have done a lot for you know it's been a tough time for a lot of families through covid as well and Mm. race and welfare have done a lot for working families through that time and we've got the spring grant which is out now isn't it yeah the spring family support grant which um, I'm really pleased we can highlight that this week if you are a working family in the industry and you have been impacted financially by the pandemic then please get in touch via racing support line 0800 6300443 to see if you could be eligible for a spring family support grant Um, it's definitely worth finding out about those and the closing date for applications is the 7th of May. Yeah and in the past as well we've done the return to school grants and the festive grants so there's plenty of support out there Mm. and the welfare officers are always happy to help as well so it's well worth getting in touch. So shall we kick off with today's episode? Yeah let's go. 
I'm delighted to say we're joined now by Andrea O'Keefe, who is co-director of Jed O'Keefe Racing with her husband, Jed. And um, thank you so much for joining us. That's okay. It's a pleasure. I'm uh, looking forward to having a good chat. Yeah. Um, And before we get down to business, talking about working families and women in the industry, um, we were very sad to see the retirement of Sam Spinner the other day. Can you tell us how you're feeling about that? Um, It's bittersweet. We're absolutely delighted that he has finished his career um, in one piece, um, able to go on to a second career. He's just had his first career. Um, and he has loved every minute, but it was very evident that his confidence has taken a real knock following the injury that he had um, that finished his um, chasing, uh, you know, his winning sequence over fences. Um, and um, we, he, he was loving his training at home, but it quickly became evident on the track that he just, he didn't feel, you know, he, his, his confidence wasn't there. And um, he... Um, it doesn't owe anybody anything. Uh, he's been an absolutely wonderful horse. He's a brilliant character and um, a real personality in the yard. And um, we love our jobs and we want our horses to love their jobs. And if they tell, if he, he told us that he wasn't loving it, um, then I think it was an absolutely brilliant decision between Jed and uh, Karen and Paul Chapman, the owners, to retire him and let him go and do something else that he'll absolutely love. We're not sure what that's going to be yet. He's a brilliant ride and he's an absolute pleasure to deal with in every respect. And um, he's very much loved. So. Oh, he's been the horse of a lifetime, really, hasn't he? He has. imagine we're talking about kids and working parents and families today and I imagine he'd be quite a big sort of draw for all your children's friends. Yeah I think it, when you have a horse like that and it's an honour to work with a horse like that the whole community whether racing and non-racing gets behind you because he's kind of it, it becomes part of uh, sort of more into the public domain so um, the boys teachers at school used to ask about him everyone oh. you know wanted to know how he was getting on and lots of visitors and but he's a, a really, really gentle horse. So it was um, never a problem for people to, you know, come and have a pat and a, a cuddle with him. So can you tell us a bit about the, your business? How many horses you've got in training? How many staff you employ? OK, so um, there are currently 57 horses on site. Um, so we're probably like a medium sized uh, racing business now really and um, we employ a, a quite a big team um, which will probably come apparent as to why but um, so there is currently the 24 of us on payroll at the minute including Jed and I and uh, that includes two of our three children well all three have just progressed onto payroll and are doing bits and pieces for the business as well so that includes them um, and then we've we've got an amazing team of people, a really diverse uh, team. Uh, people tend to join us at 16 from either the British Racing School or the uh, National Horse Racing College. And then hopefully we help them to develop their careers in the industry, see them go through the, uh, their NVQs and get the qualifications. And then sometimes they'll stay with us um, and sometimes they'll move on to other jobs uh, in the industry locally or across the country or, you know, got people in. Uh, New Zealand and Australia who started with us so um, yeah so really real mix and diverse um, sort of workforce and um, yeah from 16 year olds uh, Jed and I are the oldest so um, I'm 49 and uh, Jed's a little little bit older than me but not much Um, and uh, how old are are your children? So the boys, we have three boys and they are 18, 16 and 14. So not little anymore, but um, yeah. J- just... I've got three boys, Andrew. Mine are a bit younger than that. Can you give me some reassurance of how I'm going oh, to survive the next 10 years? Oh, they're just amazing. I have loved every minute. I love every minute of being a parent and each stage of their development is just very different. The challenges as a parent are just very different at the different stages of their lives and the worry is always there, but it just becomes a different worry. You know, um, yes, I think especially when they start driving, um, obviously the worry oh, this God, year. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think... Yeah, um, yeah, it's so just different worries at different times. They've because they've had to share us with the business from 
day one well from being pregnant you know have always worked so I think that there were there have had to be very independent in lots of respects and they're used to sharing you and your attention uh, because you can't have a hundred percent attention on them all the time so they play well they've always played well together you know when they're little they learn to play with play well together and keep each other amused and um you know they they learn we've always when you run a racing business and you live on site you don't ever really get away from it so you've always got people coming into your house you know whether it's your um your team your employees need you for things or you've got owners visiting or you've got the press or or you know um or you're involved in maybe projects in the industry and you've got meetings and stuff um they're very used to um understanding that you have to work and that work is important and I have um obviously I feel guilty a lot of the time mum guilt yeah 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 mum mum guilt a lot of the time but I strongly feel that my children um I look back and think that having a a a mum who is working and working in the industry and um demonstrating that both parents have the parenting responsibilities but also the the working life alongside that I think that's really healthy and as the mum of three boys I think it's it's been very important to see that my role as a woman in the industry is um, and my role in the business and how hard I work relative to how Jed works is um, we're just a complete partnership and a complete team. And I think that's a very important message for the, the children. I think especially for boys, we sort of focus so much on telling girls like you can do this, you can be anything you want to be like, but it actually to make real change, long lasting change that has to come by educating boys as well, doesn't it? As a business, when we first set off, um, Jed uh, would have, and, and I would have really struggled um, with how could you possibly juggle, like I had to juggle being a mum with running the business, but I could work at midnight or I could work at two in the morning if I had back returns to submit. I, I did the wages literally from a hospital bed when I had my eldest Joseph because he was born on the 26th of December I didn't want people not to have their wages on time you know paid them from from hospital and you know because I could juggle like that because I was in charge and could could um, juggle my workload to be able to do it when I needed to do it but obviously if your role is uh, as um, a full-time groom in the yard that is not as easy to juggle and to begin with we were like how is it going to work you know but one of our one of our assistant trainers has both our assistant trainers have dependents but one of them has um, a daughter and she's worked now with us for 20 years and over that 20 years we've developed a working pattern her daughter is now five we've developed a working pattern that can completely accommodate her working full-time 40 hours same contract as her uh, as the male assistant trainer who's on a 40 hour his 40 hours are different he starts earlier in the morning he finishes earlier at lunchtime she starts her, she completely works around her um, school drop-off um, her childcare arrangements and that flexible way of working we found to be an advantage because the vets might want to come at lunchtime the farrier might want to come at lunchtime to work with horses when everyone else is going home at 12 o'clock or 12 30 she's there until three o'clock or 2 15 or whatever time she needs to clock off in order to go and uh, pick up her daughter she'll then do what she needs to do um, and work with her daughter and then she'll come back and do some paperwork from home later in the evening and so she can you know so we've even found now but it, it, it took us a long time to think about different ways of working to accommodate that because the thing is if you don't accommodate that as an employer you lose your best people yeah it's about staff retention isn't it and and providing that flexibility allows for that how have you found sort of adapting to that and the flexibility and something that the research for women in racing brought up was that it's still a little bit taboo and people are scared to talk about it do you find that your staff are comfortable now that they can see that that's happening in yards have you ever Um, sort of experienced any of that through your career um, I think that um, I think the battle is um, uh, there's one there's quite a big um, 
belief in tradition. We're in a very traditional industry working with horses and um, horses are trained in a very traditional manner because the horse itself has not changed over the hundreds of years. But the working practices have had to perhaps change. And I think that you're battling against the traditional notion that this is the way we've always done it, therefore this is the way we're doing it. But then you then have to balance that against this drift of um, exceptional people who are very good at their jobs and also I would strongly argue that um, people who have other priorities in their lives and have to juggle and manage the time actually um, bring a, a, a different skill set back into the workplace and also their way of relating to other people, uh, mm -hmm. their way of uh, perceiving other problems that other people might be in, encountering. It makes them better at their job, I believe, um, you know, where they've had to, um, you know, have other challenges outside of work whether that's raising a family or whether that's dealing with somebody that's ill or whether that's you know all the other problems that you have in life outside of work because at the end of the day much as we absolutely love our jobs and the number one priority is making sure that the horses are cared for and their welfare is paramount at the end of the day it's still work it is still work and so for for, for our employees they're coming to work to do that to work for their 40 hours and then whatever um additionally overtime they've still got to have that life outside of it and that balance with that life i think it's um one of the main things that needs to happen is it to be much more visual those examples like you have of where it's working well to be flexible how do you think we can get that Sort of, you know it's that whole like if you can't see it you can't be it thing how do we get that message out there to the wider um, industry talk definitely talking about it and mm. um you know I've um I'm, we're a member of the National Trainers Federation and so we've been to meetings and um you know had our regional team meetings where we've talked about uh, and in those meetings you know we've talked about the way that um, practices are changing and the different ways that people are organizing their workforce to accommodate the work they've got and the I think the um so so it's definitely happening um, um and it's just yeah it's just more opportunities to talk about it because the problem is you know um we work very very long hours as all tra all trainers do and so the actual time to talk to each other about what you're doing is very limited mm. um you know when you're obviously with covid it's become even more more uh, limited because you're not you don't see other people at the races for example or you don't get time to talk to people in the way that you would perhaps in the canteen at the at the races um and so on um so I think it I think it's talking about it and um for us it's very important to um you know to keep those people who for instance go off on maternity leave to to look at how can we modify the roles to enable them to come back to do the hours that they want to do and if that means slightly reducing their hours or or um, moving their hours to a different time of the day at the end of the day there is still work uh 24 7 in our job and so it's just yeah. looking at that overall picture i think it's had it's easier to achieve that um, well, as the business grows, you know, if 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 it was just Jed and I in the beginning working with um, one or two members of staff, that would be harder to accommodate that than it is when you get slightly bigger and you have you, there's more juggling to do anyway. Um, you know, you're always we're always overstaffed. We're overstaffed to cover holidays. You've always got to have more people than you need to enable everyone to get their holidays in. You've got to have you've got to factor in the fact that unfortunately people get injured at work or somebody will be off sick from work or through COVID people might have been isolating. So you're always having to run over in an overstaffed um, capacity in order to make sure that you've got the people there to do the job really well and, and care for the horses that you're getting paid to to care for. It's, it's just about thinking um about maternity leave in that same way as you would think about yeah. um injury or sickness yeah. it's not some big taboo thing to be scared of it's not something that should be dealt with in any different way it is just about flexibility around all of those um things that you're yeah. dealing with when you run a business yeah it is and um it's actually cheaper for the employer when somebody is on maternity leave than when someone's sick because historically the employer would get their statutory sick pay back but now you don't you don't get the statutory sick pay back into the business so when somebody is off sick or somebody is um injured that you've got you've got a bigger financial commitment to that person than you do if the person is on 
maternity leave because you still get the support from the government for someone being on maternity leave, which you don't get for somebody being on sick. So it's actually um, it's actually less expensive to the employer to have somebody on maternity leave than it is to have somebody on sick, which is crazy, but that's 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 the way of it. Interesting. In my own case, I've always had I always had two jobs until I had my first child, and then I've worked full time with Jed for uh, eighteen years. But the second and third pregnancies, I didn't actually get any maternity pay or cover because we hadn't been doing well enough as a business. We were losing money as a new business and really struggling. Um, that we hadn't paid me anything so because we didn't pay me anything I then didn't look like I was working even though I was working so that was really difficult uh, period for us financially um, and uh, Jed and I talked the other week um, with the, there are lessons to be learned because there are implications that my pension when I um, you know get to my state pension I'm going to have missed out because we didn't factor in the parental responsibility for the for the years that I was working because I've always worked and you know Jed and I's average week would ish um, that would be fairly average for us um, but for so many of those hours it was it, for me it was unpaid because we couldn't afford to pay me for the hours I was doing because that would have put the business under at that point and when we're when we're trying to get going so I've, I read a really interesting um I've just sort of been doing a bit of research around women in the workplace not just in um racing necessarily but the average woman's pension pot is a hundred thousand pounds less than the average man yeah it's, it's astounding isn't it it is it is and um you know it for us it was just like um something you didn't think of you know I was having I had my first baby when I uh, had Joseph so when I was 30 and when you're 30 and you know Jed and I neither of us were paying into a uh, into a pension uh, over and above our industry pension which is like 400 pounds a year at that point um uh because because we didn't have the money we 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 had to have every penny was going to to invest in the business and build the business and stay afloat because we didn't have anyone backing us we'd just started from scratch with you know on our own um and um so you're not thinking about <laughs> you're not thinking about retiring how did you anyway. face those challenges of the sort of financial challenges in those early years because it's really can be really stressful can't it yeah, it, um, very stressful. Um, yeah, uh, the most, the most stressful. Uh, it was you're always living hand to mouth, and you're always uh, like for us, number one priority was always pay everybody else. So you always would pay yourself last, and we we always earn less than our our team. Um, but that's because we want to pay them as much as we possibly can, and we're very lucky. Um, we're doing what we love, and we live on site, and we've got a very nice life. And, um, you know, we work very hard, but we're working for ourselves. And, and so for us, it's always a priority is to make sure the people are paid first. So that does mean that you can uh, have real, real difficulties. And so, yeah, the, the most challenging year was Jed was very ill when the children were seven, five and three. Jed uh, was diagnosed with throat cancer. And so for that year, that was absolute, that was the, the hardest year as a parent, but also the hardest year for me um, working to keep uh, the business afloat because, um, because we'd worked so hard that, uh, to, to get into the position we we're in. So we'd been working hard for 15 years at that point and, it, and um, to have not got through that year with uh, Jed alive and in one piece. Um, yeah, that, that was the hardest year. And I felt that year, um, that I was a rubbish parent because oh. um, because I had to kind of I had to focus on keeping Jed um, you know keeping Jed alive by getting him to his uh, hospital appointments I had to try and keep the business there was lots of plates spinning uh, mm-hmm. at that time to to keep everything going and I was very very lucky that I had um, at that point I had um, uh, young um, girl helping me with the children who who had to be a, a mum really in lots of respects over the years I've been a really bad mum in Don't in 
Yeah. So, no, no, no. This is what I women felt, do. Because, this is what we do. Yeah, we? because you have to, because, you know, I've had to turf my children out of bed and I felt so guilty for it. But then, and at the Your time, guilt like, doesn't mean you've been doing it wrong. <laughs> you, mm, everyone well, does the best they can, don't they, really? That's the everyone, everyone does the best that they can. And it's yeah. why when I, a book, for me, um, and my, 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 our children, um, you know, are absolutely gorgeous and I wouldn't change you know I wouldn't want them to change how they are in any shape or form so it's not you know it's not been terrible for them them, no it was just it was the way it was but I'm glad now that we can instead of having to ask our returning employees to be in that position with their children to be able to say actually why don't you just start at uh one of them starts at quarter to eight because her childcare kicks in at, at quarter past seven and that works for her. The other uh, at the minute because of the COVID and um, the fact that she hasn't got the wraparound care that she might have had, she's starting and actually we've moved breakfast. We've done a simple thing, which is move the breakfast time to allow us to get in two lots, then breakfast, the, the, which gives her the time then to get here and she starts she's here to ride a uh, third lot you say yeah. that um you're doing what all women do and say oh, I was a rubbish parent but actually if you look at the positives of that you know you gave your children a constant through that hard time you, know, you said you had the girl who came in and yeah I mean them and giving them that constant through that and I imagine that was so beneficial and so positive she was absolutely fantastic and was and, and provided that constant um that yeah that constant person who was there and could always be there because I I might have had to be at hospital with Jed and then I might have had to be at Hamilton for a night meeting or you know it was just like or something yeah yeah yeah. and it's why um it's why latterly once once uh obviously Jed's absolutely in in great in great health now uh thankfully um and I've I love being at home. I love working at home. I love being around the horses. I love being around the team. Um, I'll, I, I go to the sales with Jeb, but I don't actually go racing that much. And it's because I love being here for when my children walk back in the door and tell me about the day. I can't be here um, now they're old enough to to get themselves up and get their breakfast and uh, and leave the kitchen in that absolute horrific mess. And the first <laughs> thing you do when you walk back in at lunchtime is, oh, for goodness sake, why couldn't they just do this, that, and the other? <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, all the piles of washing and, and that kind of stuff. But um, it's why I love, I love, I am very lucky that I can work from home and be at home for when they come back in even if I've got to then go back out again into the yard mm. or, or or go and do something or come back into the office and work later on I mean it's a standing joke that my ch- children my my youngest child said he could come to me and say mum I've just done something like really terrible and I go yeah yeah that's fine don't worry about it you know because because I haven't listened to a word he said you know he's just <laughs> told me he's just I don't know hit someone or or uh, dropped something or broken it out go, oh yeah that's great you know and carry on with what I'm doing because you do have to be able to shut off don't you from what's yeah. happening around you but hopefully yeah. I wouldn't actually ignore that if it really happened yeah you're clearly I mean and you've said it you it's clearly a partnership and you're running this business 50 50 would you consider taking on a joint license that lots of people appear I just think there's a lot of women who are married to trainers (laughs) who are absolutely essential to those businesses and they're not getting the recognition in that business that they deserve um that's an interesting that's an interesting one um Jed and I talked about it to begin with and uh I don't think Jed's quite come around to that way of thinking yet um and I kind of see where you (laughs) yeah I can I can I can see where he's coming from because he feels that he you know he does the entries and he does the race planning he does the very much the training side of it what I do is um, he tells me what he wants with the list and the exercise list. And then I work out logistically the best way of achieving that, hopefully with the team of people we've got in and who's going off racing. And, you know, I, I do the, the planning and the logistics of it and, and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, when I first heard it, I was like, yes, result. Because I do, I do, I do feel a, a little bit like that. I do feel that, um, um, 
but I think Jed feels that he knows that I put in 50%. He knows that we're 100% a partnership together and have equal say, responsibility, decision-making in, in, in everything. We talk about everything. We consult about everything. Um, one of us wouldn't, wouldn't take a decision without the other. Uh, you know, we speak to each other a million times a day when he's not here, uh, you know. And so he feels that he doesn't need somebody to say to him that we are equal partners in the business. So he felt that it wasn't a necessary thing to do. No, I, yeah, I get what you're saying. And I can see that from his perspective. I just think for as a sort of just to have that example out there for other families to see that this is um, a potential. Yeah, career, I think it, but you can uh, do it. And yeah, you know. I think I think the interesting thing is, I think people will still assume a bit like when you said how what is what you said at the start of the podcast, you know, what, um, what shall I how shall I introduce you, Andrea, you know, oh, oh, um, people would still um wouldn't know what I actually do. They mm. would just I think some people's assumptions is still that um, that I maybe rock up and and have a nice little ride out and maybe uh, get a nice outfit to go to Cheltenham or you know and, and I think there is still uh, or, or not a nice outfit maybe a really bad choice for, for whatever I'm going to wear to go wherever <laughs> you would go but um, I think I think some people um, still would have the perception that um, that that uh that Jed, it, it, that it, the business is Jed's, that Jed makes the decisions that Jed do. But then I think... Um, but nobody would make those assumptions when John Gosden shares the licence with his son. That That's... Yeah. And which still is, perceptions to be changed, aren't there? Yeah, which is why Daniel and Claire Kubler... Yeah, they're doing... That. ...are, are um, leading the way on that, aren't they? Yeah. Mm. Um, which is absolutely, absolutely brilliant. I, I don't think... I, I think there should be... I think we need to... I think the sharing of the license is is one way of doing it, but also I think another way of doing it is just talking about that that, that people lose sight of the fact that these are businesses. The mm. training business is a training business, and being a trainer is only part of that training business because you have to do everything else associated with running a business. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, if it isn't a business and it doesn't run like a business, it's not going to survive. I just think you're incredible and an amazing role model to your children. Before you go, Andrea, you've got to do our quick yeah. five. Okay. Okay. So fill in the blank. I am happiest when? Sitting around the tea table with all my children and Jed's just cooked. Oh, sounds like heaven. When I am feeling overwhelmed, I? Ride out. My one top tip for looking after your well-being is take pleasure in the tiniest things uh, and enjoy it. Yeah. And can you give us something that's inspired you recently? A book, a film, a person? I was totally blown away by the achievements of Rachel Blackmore at Cheltenham last week. And final question. Can you give us a horse to follow? Ooh, I absolutely love Rare Groove. Um, that's one of John and Jess Dance's horses. Um, he has had um, a year off and made a fantastic return uh, to Newcastle uh, a couple of weeks ago, finishing second. Absolutely uh, love him to bits. He's still an entire horse, but he's the perfect gentleman. Uh, I'm very biased because I get to ride him. I've <laughs> rode him when I've ridden him all the way through. And uh, he's absolutely lovely. Uh, so, yeah. So we're talking now to Dr. Kate Clayton Hathaway, who is a research fellow with the Centre for Diversity Policy Research and Practice at Oxford Brooks Business School. And Kate was part of the team who did the Racing Home report for Women in Racing um, last year. And um, it's going to be great to hear your thoughts, Kate. Thank you for joining us. You're welcome. Nice to, nice to be here.
Yeah, thank you, Kate. Um, Lauren and I are quite interested in this topic, actually. We have a vested interest because we're often frazzled and tearing at her, aren't we, Lauren? <laughs> yeah, um, With our children. <laughs> so there are some really interesting findings in the research, some sort of practical quick fixes and longer term solutions. But can you give us a brief overview of why the research was carried out and just a little bit about the research? Okay, sure. Um so uh, I actually led on a study uh, around diversity in racing in 2016-2017 and um, we, uh, we, we published a report then and um, one of the findings from that particular study um, it was particularly highlighted some of the issues around pregnancy and maternity and um, the, the, sort of, uh, uh, the fact that for, for working women careers seem to, to not progress as well, sorry working mothers rather um, careers seem to not progress as well. Um, so as a result of that, uh, women in racing were really keen to, to, to pick up on that particular issue and do some work around uh, motherhood um, and, and looking at uh, the, the impact that being a mother can have when you, when you have a career in racing. So um, the, this particular project then kicked off, uh, this um, uh, racing home kicked off in 2019. So uh, there was a, a symposium run by Simply Racing and um, around 60 people uh, attended that particular symposium uh, with a, a range of speakers all talking about different aspects of being a mother um, in, uh, in the industry from, from a really broad perspective um, going through from, from sort of b b working in the, the, the legal part and the accounting part right through to working within, with having, being somebody who worked in, in yards. Um, and it was, it was acknowledged then that uh, there does seem to be an issue for uh, women generally who, who are trying to juggle um, or either are planning a family or um, have um, got, got a family and are trying to juggle that along with their uh, along with their their career so um, would you like me to describe actually what we did what the what the, the research can consisted of and and yeah just very with? briefly yeah, yeah sure so um we ran eight workshops following the symposium um, we ran eight workshops uh two of them face to face but unfortunately then we had to go online because of covid although that actually went pretty well in the end and um those eight workshops uh included uh over 50 people in total with a really broad representation across the industry and um i also conducted seven interviews with very senior industry stakeholders to talk about the issue what was their response to you the, the senior stakeholders, mm -hmm. um, generally uh, very supportive in that um, I think the recognition, and this really was one of the themes that came right through all of the work that we did, the recognition that there, there, there does, does seem to be um, some curtailing of women's careers when they have children. Now, um, that's does happen in across a lot of sectors but it was felt to be particularly strong within horse racing and the, the most of the senior people I spoke with recognized that that was the case um, and um, there was a real identification firstly of the fact that um, there is this what we call the leaky pipeline that we have women dropping out of, 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 of the, the sector uh, uh, at, at certain points um, usually relating to, to, to child care but um, also that um, it's something that's not really talked about very much and mm. that was recognised at a senior level as well as at, at all of the um, the workshops that it was something that really needed to be raised up as a subject. Yeah. And what struck you most about it because I found it quite in places it's quite hard reading the findings because you know there's talk of stigma and the racing industry not being as progressive as other sectors and this is a job for boys. So what struck you most about the findings? I think the fact that um, for, for, for many of the women and, um, and some of the men that joined in, we did have men in the workshops as well, this real reluctance to discuss parenthood, um, having children, um, a reluctance to discuss it for fear of affecting their jobs, for, for, for fear of affecting their career prospects. And, and the word taboo came up more than once. Mm. And I think um, I, I have to say that was quite shocking that, um, the, 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 that it was the, to, to that extent that people really felt they couldn't discuss 
they were planning a family, they couldn't discuss it, not only with their employers, but sometimes with colleagues as well. And that was that was really noticeable. I think um, uh, one of the things that was really striking was that um, the number of, of women who uh, were desperately trying to find ways to have a family, to plan a family or to, to, to continue with the family and to stay in the industry for the love of the horses and for the love of, of working in the sector. And that um, uh, that that kind of struggle that was that was really uh, that was noticeable in, in in some of the interviews, but but definitely within uh, all of the, the the workshops that we ran. So that was kind of interesting and a bit sad. I will say that there was also some really excellent practice. Um, there were pockets of really good practice, really kind of exemplar practice that we were able to draw on and and to, to amplify. And is that one of the key? Um sort of things to take forward out of the report to highlight those practices that are working um, so that people have an example of how they could be doing it? Sure. I mean, one of the things we've really tried to do in the report is give lots of examples of good practice, um, lots of examples of, um, uh, I think one of the things that was really, that really was important, there were, two, there were two things, if you like, there were employers that had good structures in place and of course, the larger employers can afford to do that, whereas smaller ones, it's a bit more difficult. So there's those kind of structural things that um, sometimes cost money, but will also, um, we hope, as a result of this report and this work, be put in place at an industry level. Uh, but also, it's the, the hearts and minds stuff. It was the fact that um, uh, we would like to, we, one of the things that we've really emphasized in the report is for employers and for, for colleagues to maintain a dialogue, to open up a discussion about this, to break this as a taboo, because it's part of life. It's, um, you know, everybody, everybody's part of a family. Um, uh, many people want to have children and um, uh, want to have a work-life balance, a good work-life balance. And uh, the industry needs to talk about this and employers need to talk about this and um, that alone can be a good practice that employers can can engender within their own within their own environment within their own workplace I think I think that's really important I think a lot of the time with these kind of issues it can feel like as women we have to take on this sort of battle on our own and um, how do we hold the industry to account? How do we make them accountable to take these findings forwards and actually make real change? Well, I mean, to, to take forward what we're, we're trying to do with the report, um, women in racing and simply racing have um, taken on the kind of coordination of uh, the uh, the, the recommendations that we put into the report and um, I think what's really important is that the industry stakeholders take you know work what try to work as one with this um, what we've what we've done is suggested a number of uh, solutions and they've gone right through I mean some of the things that um, really came out from from the the, the workshops were for example that um, there's quite a lack of understanding of rights and what your mm -hmm. entitlements are and so um, one of the solutions that we've 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 suggested is to introduce um, and, and to, to build an online toolkit and uh, so that there's you know access to all sorts of helplines and, and um, there's lots and lots of information out there. Um, and uh, what needs to happen then is for industry stakeholders and, and you know all of the bigger organizations, um, employers but but also organizations like racing welfare and and um uh, you know all of whom have a real stake in in the wider industry mm. to um to, to come together and to to contribute to this i really liked the idea of um you know the coffee chats and getting women together because that is something in racing it's very a lot of people are based very rural it's very isolating that's something we see a lot of and, you know, being able to get women together, you know, those sort of shorter term solutions and mums net for racing and kind of bringing parents together because it can be very isolating, can't it, when you first have children? Absolutely. And I think um, so 
that's a really good example of of something that's that, as you say is, is a relatively sort of quick fix um could could help a lot of women um as, as you say being isolated um both within their employment within their employment um situation because they didn't feel like they could talk about it with their their colleagues and um they felt bad taking sick days or or, or rather taking two days when their child was sick and all of these different sorts of things so feeling isolated in that way but as you say many work for smaller rural employers and um so that kind of quick fix thing of giving people um a community to be part of but also then um there can be um if you like bigger structural uh, change so one of the longer term um solutions that we've 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 we think the industry should look at is to 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 conduct a study of um child care solutions and ways that different stakeholders within the, the industry can work together to, to to help with with child care solutions um and changing some um uh, there was uh, something that came up and I've, we have put this in the report but um we've always done it that way we've always done it that way you know why would we change it we've always done it that way and then so you're saying well why do you do this why do you have to to, to why do people have to ride out at x time well we've always done it that way and then when you dig away actually these things are tradition or they're the way that things, people are used to doing things and actually there can be more flexibility in them so um this is all there's a lot of hearts and minds stuff in there in here as well as practical solutions and, and structural change that needs to happen yeah that empathy and mm -hmm, I absolutely. mean, we all know that racing's in a staff crisis. Sure, you know, it's sort of getting employers to see the benefits of making those changes, that how it will benefit them in the long term. I think the business case is um, really strong here. Uh, there's you know time and again and, and one of the interesting thing about the workshops with was, was that we had um it was really we had a really good range of age and, and people from across different parts of the industry. What we also had was some people who some some women who had um, been in the industry years and years ago and had just come back after after having you know their children had gotten to an age where now they felt they could come back and they could they could manage it and um, they all said every single one of them said you know it broke my heart to leave I had to go and work for an accounting firm I had to go and work for you know all the different things that they'd had to do um, uh, they said you know it broke my heart to leave I, I, I would have stayed if there's any way I could have stayed if I'd have just had that support for the first six months or if I'd have just had that support or if I could just gone part-time for you know mm. just to, 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 to or if I could have left at three to take my kids to, to, to pick my kids up from school I could have made it work but they wouldn't change it was very rigid so I had to leave and I think that that spoke volumes really about one of the one of the contributory factors to to uh, the loss of talent um, and the and the the fact that it is so hard to recruit and to keep people mm -hmm. just that bit of flexibility and, and that was a story we heard over and again All right. there's been lots of maybe not so much within our industry but lots of research done outside um showing if you give your staff flexibility how much more productive they can be for you um I don't know, there just seems to be sort of this tendency in racing to sort of glamorise how hard you work and not realising that actually giving a bit of flexibility and giving people time to have other facets to their life that can actually make you a more productive employee. Absolutely. I mean... In some industries, they're, they're, they're streets ahead. You know, if you're looking at banking and insurance and all this sort of sort of mostly desk based work, to, work, mm. to be honest. But nevertheless, industries work that contain um, a lot of a lot of women that, that employ a lot of women, they had to adapt or die. Um, they had to start being more flexible they had to um, because because they were losing losing staff and and it's very expensive to train someone up and you get somebody somebody gets to middle management level and then they have no choice but to leave and then you have to start all over again recruiting etc so some industries had to come up to speed on this with there was a business case for it and there's also of course the social case for it in that um uh 
there are expectations. People have m much more of an expectation now to have a family life. Um, mm. There is more, despite what's happened during COVID and um, <laughs> uh, things. The women are spending most of the time doing the, doing the childcare. Um, nevertheless, there's, there is more sharing of childcare. There's not the traditional male breadwinner family model that there was um that, that, that there used to be so there are expectations of more flexible life more um having more family time having a, a job that you can fit in around a, a family yeah. life need to be having this discussion need to be having this dialogue to change really to sort of change the way that the, the pregnancy maternity yeah. and, and child care are viewed A huge thank you to um, both of our guests today. That was, with both of them, it was a really interesting chat, which I think you and I both felt could have gone on long oh. into the night. <laughs> yeah, we could talk about this topic all day. But I thought it was really interesting from Andrea about just showing that it can be done in a mm. sort of medium-sized yard. You know, they've got 57 horses in there. There are, there are able to make it work with the flexibility for working parents. Yeah, and inspirational just to see how much she's genuinely in love with the job. Yeah, um, that was lovely. Um, I think the other really interesting bit to come out of the conversation with her was that chat around the joint licences. Clearly a long way to go before... Mm. Um, I don't know it's just not quite the same standing for women that aren't seen as the trainer yeah um, there definitely is and I think but hopefully with the sort of changing attitudes of younger trainers mm. and some of these recommendations in the racing home report and seeing people like Andrea as a uh, who can be a role model within the industry they'll yeah. come that change yeah fingers crossed um and just um to mention that racing home report I will link to that in the show notes but we should just mention that that was carried out for women in racing by dr kate clayton hathaway who we spoke to earlier and by dr bianca stumbitz and that was generously funded by the racing foundation and by kindred yeah and i just want to say there's a few ways that anybody out there who is struggling or needs support through you know any working parents out there who do need support from race and welfare there's myriad ways that you can get that help so for example there's our occupational health service which you know they can come and make workplace adjustments for heavily pregnant women for example uh, the welfare officers can help with the benefit system which can be really mm. complex um, and there's you know this child benefit and all those benefits that you can get yeah. and I think that can be really tricky to navigate can't it absolutely and I think to access any of that support is to go through the racing support line but also if you are unsure of your maternity rights if when you call that line you ask to speak to a telephone information specialist who have citizens advice training they will be able to guide you in the right way and just tell you what your actual rights are which sometimes mm -hmm. can also seem a bit unclear yeah so anyone who does need support you can call the support line on 0800 6300443 and there's also advice pages on the website at support.racingwelfare.co.uk brilliant and we'll see you all in a couple of weeks time see you then take care